Today on Blue 58, the Packers put together a nearly perfect offensive day to take care of the Oakland Raiders and move to 6-1. and one. How did it happen? Let's discuss. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast at thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdank. Happy to be with you here for what I think may be a really short episode here. Football has become more and more a game that both is really complicated and that people try to make very complicated. I think it's fair to say that the average football fan doesn't understand most of what's going on on the field or why. I certainly don't. I don't understand how most blocking schemes work or a lot of the finer points of the execution of a offensive strategy or a defensive strategy. And the more I learn, the more I realize that I don't understand. But this game, I think, showed that as complicated as this game can be, as this sport can be, there's a lot of it that's still really simple. Because in this game, I think the Packers understood what the Raiders were going to try to do and were unfazed. The Packers, therefore, did what they wanted to do and beat a tough team pretty convincingly. The Packers understood that the Raiders were going to try to play ball control football. They were going to run with Josh Jacobs. They were going to throw passes that their tight ends could catch and run with. And they were going to try to take up as much time as possible and make it hard for the Packers to get out in front and render the Raiders' offense ineffective. The Packers understood this and just went out and scored a whole bunch of points and made anything the Raiders did pretty well inconsequential. On top of that, when the Raiders did get into position to score, the Packers took away their opportunities. It's a pretty simple game in a lot of ways. The finer points are complicated, but if you're taking away what you know your opponent wants to do, that's a pretty simple concept at a base level. Doing it might be hard, but just understanding what your opponent's going to do and withstanding that and making it impossible for them to do it That's pretty simple, and the Packers managed to get that pretty simple thing done today. Here's how. Two ways. Two moments, in fact. Well, one way, two moments. There. We got it. First, we got to talk about the offense, because in that ball control strategy for Oakland, I think you end up running a game that's kind of like a slow-burning wildfire. Slowly, slowly eating up territory. Slowly, slowly devouring the available resources that the other team has to work with. In this case, those resources would be minutes left on the game clock. You want to leave your opponent as little time to operate as you possibly can if you're running the sort of offense that Oakland is. The Packers made that strategy all but irrelevant. When you score six touchdowns, You make it hard for anybody running any kind of offensive strategy to do what they want to do. While the Packers did their offensive strategy so well that the game was all but academic by just under eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. We know that because at that point the Raiders pulled Derek Carr and said, you know what, we're good. That's going to be it for us. Good job, Green Bay. We're going to just get ready for next week at this point because Mike Glennon isn't leading this comeback. The Packers used all sorts of 
passing related things to get things done in this one. And this too is an interesting point in the Packers' favor. They were not getting a lot done on the ground, though Aaron Jones does end up averaging 4.2 yards per carry on 12 carries. By and large, it was not a super great ground effort for the Packers. Jamal Williams didn't do a whole lot. Dexter Williams got put in a tough situation in her, his first NFL um, opportunity, I guess. This is the first time he's really done anything at all. It's been the first time he's been been healthy, uh, first time he's been active. You didn't get a chance to, to do a whole lot, and when he did get opportunities, the Raiders knew it was coming, so it wasn't a big surprise that he didn't go anywhere. The Packers turned to a wide range of wide or receivers, not just wide receivers, but tight ends, backs, fullbacks, to do a variety of things through the air. And they got just about all of them working. The Packers passed short. The Packers passed long. The Packers attacked the intermediate route. And they did it when the Raiders knew it was coming. At one point, the Packers ran like 20 out of 24 called plays were passes. 20 out of 24 called plays were passes. You could even say 21 out of 24. As Tony Romo pointed out, Aaron Rodgers' rushing touchdown wasn't a designed run for him. It looked like it may have been an RPO, um, but it wasn't just a called run. The Packers were passing. The Raiders should have known they were passing, but they couldn't stop the Packers when they put the ball in the air. And they generated explosive play after explosive play. At least 10 of them as we count them. Probably more once we get the final numbers in. At the very least, they had 9 passing plays of 20 or more yards. And in the process, Aaron Rodgers put up the first perfect passer rating in Packers history. On more than one attempt. Bubba Franks also had a perfect passer rating one day. That is a different story for another day. 158.3 is the final number for Aaron Rodgers, a very, very impressive number. And the Packers just made it all but impossible for the Raiders to come back in this one doing what they wanted to do. That's not to say the Raiders didn't have opportunities, because as we switch over to defense here, we have to talk about a couple key plays that one player made. Now, on the broadcast and even on social media after the game, a lot of people were talking about one crucial play that changed the course of this game. And that was Derek Carr fumbling through the end zone. That, of course, was a crucial play. It took a scoring opportunity away from the Raiders and gave the Packers the ball back. And even though the Packers didn't do anything with the ball on their next possession, excuse me, they did. They went down and scored a touchdown. I was thinking of a different possession later in the game. I was thinking about when the Packers stopped the the Raiders inside inside the five-yard line. They didn't do much on their next drive. But after Carr fumbled, the Packers did go down on score. That, however, that play would not have happened had one player not made a key play on the preceding play. First in goal, Josh Jacobs runs to the left and is in the process of running through a Preston Smith tackle when B.J. Smith comes out of nowhere and just absolutely lays the lumber to Josh Jacobs, wiping him out and forcing the Raiders to second in goal. And on that second and goal play, Derek Carr made the ill-advised decision to try to reach out for the pylon and fumble the ball through the end zone. You know the story from there. The Packers do go down and score, make it 21-10. to And then there's not enough time left for the Raiders to do anything, so they have to kneel down the ball. And the Packers come out 
in the second half or in the first play of the second half, first drive of the second half and go down and score another touchdown. It's 28 to 10 at that point and in many ways the route is is on. Cuz on the Packers next offensive possession they make it 35 to 17 and then uh, you're really in trouble if you're the Raiders. BJ Goodson makes an entirely I think unheralded play there, uh, at least during the course of the game. Huge hit keeps Jacobs out of the end zone and forces the Raiders to run another play and they turn the ball over. Then, early in the fourth quarter, the Raiders are again down in a goal-to-go situation. On first and goal, Josh Jacobs is stuffed headed to the right. On second and goal, he's stuffed headed to the left. On third and goal, he's stuffed headed up the middle. So what did the Raiders do on fourth and goal? They give it to Josh Jacobs again up the middle. He vaults over the top of the pile, and it looks like there's a good chance he could be headed for the end zone, except who shows up again with a big hit? It's B.J. Goodson turning Josh Jacobs away with a tough, hard, legal, big hit. Goodson has been something I think of an underrated acquisition for the Packers. Brian Gutekunst traded for him very close to the start of the season, right there at the start of the season, a late-round pick. And he's basically been there to fill the Antonio Morrison role from last year. A big, thickly built, relatively athletic, run-stopping linebacker. And what did he do in this game? He stuffed the run twice on two key plays. That's 14 points. And since the Packers went down and scored on one of those drives where they got the ball after Goodson made a play, a 21-point swing. That's game-changing stuff there. And that's the sort of play that the Packers have gotten pretty regularly from their defense. It hasn't always been pretty for the defense. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But when they've needed plays, they've come up with them. And as a bonus, we can throw in the Packers' Securing an interception late in the game on a great play by both Adrian Amos and Kevin King. You could throw this in as another red zone opportunity that the Packers turned aside. You have those goal to go opportunities, and then this one from a little bit further outside, a little bit um, closer to the outer limit of the of the red zone. Uh, Adrian Amos tips the ball away. Kevin King is there for the reactive interception, and. Uh, The Packers turn away the last real serious threat from the Raiders. The Raiders would go down and score another touchdown late, a play that didn't matter at all. Uh, But at this point, the game was still, at least arguably, in contention. And uh, the Packers took that opportunity away. I think B.J. Goodson needs a lot of credit there for both being in the right position and making enough of a big hit to alter the game at the points at which he did it. What does this win mean then for the Packers? Well, 6-1. and one. That's a great place to be seven games into the season, almost as good as you possibly can be. For right now, I think we need to focus on, on one big thing that a 6-1 and one record gives the Packers as they approach the midpoint of the season. Room for error. They're going to need this both now and later. They're going to need this room for error now because as nice as it's been to start the season mostly at home. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are going on a road trip over most of the next month of the season. Four of the Packers' next five games are on the road. You've got a bye week mixed in there, but 
they're going to be seeing a lot of opposing stadiums over the next few weeks. You need a little room for error in those situations because though some of those teams are not super great, New York, Los Angeles Chargers, not super great. You've also got a couple tough road games in there. You've got the Chiefs. You've got the 49ers, who might be the best team in the NFL right now. It's a lot closer between them and the Patriots than I think uh, anybody would have expected um, at the start of this season. That's that's a tough road trip. A couple tough ones in there. Even if Patrick Mahomes isn't playing next week, it's going to be tough to go to Kansas City and come out of there with a win. Being 6-1 now gives you room for error in the short term. They're also going to need that in the long term, though, because the NFC North isn't one yet. It's great to be 3-0 in the division, but Minnesota is going to be a problem yet. And Detroit may yet come on here, too. They've had a tough go of it here the last couple weeks. actually had a conversation with somebody yet again today about uh, how that game shook out there at Lambeau Field on Monday. The fact is the Packers did get the win there, but Detroit is still going to be a tough out. Their record may not show it, but they're going to be a tough team here late in the season when the Packers have to play them again. Being 6-1 and one now makes that game mean less later, and it gives the Packers, again, a little bit of room for error once those other NFC North teams start to get things figured out a little bit. Minnesota looks like they've got it figured out. Chicago looks like they might never figure it out. But Detroit could make some noise yet. 6-1 and one is also important because I'm not sure you can be entirely sold on the defense yet. Like I just said, the defense has done a good job of coming up with those key plays when they need it. But the Raiders still moved the ball pretty well today. They converted a lot of third downs early in the game. They avoided getting into third downs. Uh, they overcame some big penalties. That defense may yet be a bit of a problem. The defense could still improve. I think Will Redmond is probably a bigger problem for this defense uh, than most of us would like to admit. But you get Ibrahim Campbell here back. Uh, you get Darnell Savage back. That gets mitigated a little bit. I'm not entirely sold on the defense. They are playing still fairly good, I think. But it could be a problem too. Something worth watching, but being 6-1 lets you overcome some of those potential issues further down the road. Let's talk about a couple random things and uh, and then just get out of here. This one's real short. Uh, Blake Martinez, did he lose a bet with Jair Alexander? Because he was wearing Jair Alexander's uh, eye black in this one, which was hilarious to see on a guy like Blake Martinez. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny just thinking about it now. Go back and look if you haven't seen it. Uh, I don't know if anybody pointed it out on social media, but I got a big kick out of it. Uh, Blake Martinez, the relatively straight-laced, clean-eating, health nut, relatively boring in some ways, wearing the amped-up Jair Alexander eye black. That's that's fun to see. Uh, Early on in this game, Jair, uh, not Jair, John Gruden uh, challenged an offensive pass interference call. And we got to talk about this for a second because... As sketchy as that call may have been, if you challenge a pass interference call, offense or defense, at this point in the season, I'm sorry, but you are stupid. The NFL as a whole, as a league and as an organization officiating this league, has shown that it has no interest in reversing the vast, vast majority, and I'm talking like 99% 
of pass interference call, unless it is egregious, unless you are taking a baseball bat to an opposing player, chances are that pass interference call is not going to get reversed. It's pretty clear that the NFL views this rule that it put in so stupidly this offseason as a break glass in case of emergency kind of thing. If you get another Ram Saints type call, they want to be able to change that. But short of that, short of an obvious near assault pass interference call on a game deciding play, you're probably not going to get anything changed. So if you're still challenging pass interference calls now, you're just stupid. And John Gruden looks stupid on Sunday. Aaron Rodgers did a good job keeping the Packers uh, on schedule by avoiding sacks in this game. And I think the only sack he took in this game uh, was actually a pretty smart decision. A third and 10 play, the the Raiders generated pretty much instant pressure. And Rodgers uh, danced a little bit, but he decided it was pretty clear to just eat it. And we're going to live to see another play. Uh, on the very next drive, it was interesting then to see a pretty similar play. A third and eight, uh, Rodgers is facing pretty much unblocked pressure right up the middle. He hangs in there and delivers a strike to Geronimo Allison up the middle on what looked like the, the hot read on the play. They convert and then later go down and score uh, their second touchdown of the game to take the lead, to go up 14-10. to 10. That's just some next-level quarterback play from Aaron Rodgers, knowing when... Uh, to take a sack, when to hang in there and and make a tough throw. As Tony Romo pointed out several times in the broadcast, he was playing at a, a very, very high level today, and it was cool to see. Speaking of playing at a high level, after he ran in his rushing touchdown, we saw something from Aaron Rodgers that we haven't seen in quite a while. It looked to me like he busted out the belt celebration, just a tiny little one, just a quick little gesture there, but the belt celebration was back on Sunday. Also interesting, after his rushing touchdown, he appeared to keep the football, which is something that I don't think I've seen from Aaron Rodgers before. He held onto the football all the way to the sideline, and I bet he had somebody keep uh, keep that ball for him. And I'm, I wonder why he did that. Uh, but it was interesting, interesting to see. Finally, the Packers wide receivers did some nice things in this one. Uh, we've talked kind of in an abstract sense about trades or about adding talent to the wide receiver group, I think I've kind of landed on being in favor of it if they can. I don't think it's ever a bad idea to add talent to your football team. And I'm not somebody who's going to sit here and hem and haw over the receiver's development and stuff like that. I think that's a little bit of an overrated concern in the NFL in 2019. I think as a rule, if you have an opportunity to get good players that you think can help your football team, you should. If the Packers don't think any of the, the available receivers can help them, that's a different story. Then just don't go get them. But if they think they can upgrade any position group, they should. And if they think they can do that at receiver, they should. But that said, this is exactly what this offense is supposed to do. It's supposed to be more or less receiver agnostic. You're supposed to be able to put just about anybody in position where you can scheme them open and and uh, and get 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 big plays with just about anybody you have on the field. And the Packers were able to do that today. They got big catches from Jake Kumaro, from Marquez Valdez-Scantling, although you'd kind of expect it from him, uh, from Alan Lazard, from Danny Vitale twice. 
Uh, we've seen big stuff from Mercedes Lewis. I mean, a lot of those guys are not players you'd expect to see especially big plays from. The Packers have gotten them. And that lends some credence, I think, to the idea that maybe they don't need to go out and get another receiver. Now, I think you do need guys that can win just one-on-one matchups when they have them. That's why it's going to be exciting to get, out, to get a guy like Devontae Adams back. But a game like today is a good example of what this offense can do to guys that are, this is going to sound like pejorative, but it's not, guys that are more or less just guys. Guys that aren't necessarily built to win those one-on-one matchups by themselves. Kumaro's touchdown catch was a great route by him. Uh, but that's probably one of the only plays in this one that was just a guy making a great individual play. Maybe Alan Lazard's big catch on the sideline as well. A lot of those other ones uh, were a result of, of great play design and just execution. And if you can come up with good plays and put your guys in a position to execute them well, those big chunk plays should follow regardless of who you have on the field. But if you can put better guys on the field... You should probably try to do that too. And I guess that's probably where I am at re- at receiver right now. I'm interested in anybody's thoughts uh, on this one. If, if you're interested in adding more receiver talent, I'd like to see uh, a little bit from you uh, as to who they, they could add. We talked about that not too long ago, but if you've got some new names, I'd love to hear them. Uh, drop us a line, whatever. If you think it's it's not a good idea to add talent, I'd love to hear from you too. It, it'd be good to have have some dialogue on that. That's all I've got for you on this particular episode, though. Another Packers win. We're 6-1. and one, A great place to be. I do appreciate you listening. If you like what you heard, leave us a rating and review uh, in the podcast app of your choice. That'll help more people find the show. If you want to take your support to the next level, patreon.com slash thepowersweep is probably your best bet. A dollar per month of support there helps us offset some of our hosting costs and some of the, the costs associated with running the show. We're, we're looking, actually, I'm looking at doing some upgrades to the podcast studio. Uh, that would be really exciting if we could do that. So if you want to uh, support that potential mission, uh, Patreon is a good way to do it. Also, Teespring, click the shop link at thepowersweep.com. Uh, the That'll give you a, a, a look at some of our t-shirts and sweatshirts. We had one uh, purchased recently, I would encourage you to do that as well if you're looking at supporting the show and you want to go- look good doing it. As always, a great way to support what we do here is to leave us a question, a comment, uh, a just random thought that you have about the Packers that we can share with uh, the rest of the listening audience that we can react to a little bit. Uh, I do appreciate that. I do appreciate it. anybody who takes the chance, uh, takes the opportunity to reach out because that, as much as anything else, furthers our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I've been your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.